the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, throughout the liturgical year, the clerics of the Holy Catholic Church, that is to say priests, deacons, and subdeacons, together with the religious orders of both men and women throughout the world, offer up their, daily their prayers of praise and sacrifice, of petition and thanksgiving, of reparation and adoration to Almighty God by means of the divine office. The divine office is that collection of prayers taken from scripture and tradition, which the Church has made to form, together with the Holy Mass, the essential part of her public prayer. By it, she fulfills the single greatest act of the virtue of religion, that of adoration of the Most Holy Trinity. But the daily recitation of the divine office also serves several secondary purposes, among them to sanctify those who recite it and to instruct them as well in the mysteries of our faith. One of the principal ways in which those who recite the office are instructed is by the readings arranged at the office of Matins. Usually excerpts taken from sacred scripture, the Church has so arranged them as to provide appropriate spiritual text for the different liturgical times and feasts of the year. That long introduction to your fable serves as a segue into the subject of today's sermon by means of the scriptural texts that are currently being read. Those readings are taken from the last two books of the Old Testament, both in terms of the date of composition and their placement in the Bible itself. I'm speaking, of course, of the two books of Maccabees. These books describe the historical exploits of the Maccabees, a family who led a Hebrew uprising to free the people from the yoke of the Seleucids. The Seleucids, which was the Greek empire that came to power in that area, the Middle East, the Palestine, following the breakup of the empire of Alexander the Great, who of course conquered it. The Maccabees brothers, John, Simon, Judas, Eliezer, and Jonathan, together with their father, Mattathias, rejected the pagan influence of the Greeks upon the Jewish people and sought to restore true worship among the people. They led their armies into battle, winning many victories over the oppressors, eventually establishing a ruling dynasty, even though most of them gave their lives and died in battle. The books of Maccabees are full of many lessons for us, and perhaps even more now that open conflict in the Holy Land threatens to send our world into a more general conflagration which could spiral out of control into the largest loss of life the world has ever seen. Please God, that does not happen. The first lesson that we learn from the book of Maccabees is that there is no peace and no order in the world unless the worship of the one true God has its proper place. The entire history of the chosen people of the Old Testament was directed by divine providence to one end. Abraham was called out of the land of Ur. The Hebrews under Moses out of Egypt and given the law on Mount Sinai. David anointed king of Israel. The prophets received their messages all for one reason, to prepare the world for the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason the chosen people were selected by Almighty God. They existed to prepare the world for and to welcome the Son of God in the flesh. They existed, excuse me, their divine election stems from this and from this alone. Many of them did just that. And among the greatest, and this is a welcome, prepare and welcome the Savior, and among the greatest are, of course, the most blessed Virgin Mary, the last and greatest of the prophets, St. John the Baptist, the Twelve Apostles. Most all of the 72 disciples of our Lord were also probably Jewish. 
However, a great many of the Jewish people did not accept Christ as the Messiah. They included Jews from all levels of society, from the high priest Annas and Caiaphas, all the way to the little people who cried, Crucify him, crucify him. This rejection of their Savior, their Messiah, led to the calamity of 70 AD, prophesied by Jesus himself, when Jerusalem was besieged, taken, sacked, and pillaged, and the temple raised by Roman general Titus, later emperor. We know, you faithful, that the Jewish people will enter the one true church en masse at the end of time, recognizing at long last the Savior they were set aside to welcome. Yet the suffering that the Jewish people endured as a result of their rejection of the man-god was not the vindictive, vindictive effect of a petty master, but rather the persistent call of a loving father to his children to repent of the evil they have wrought so that they might accept the salvation offered to them, a lesson for us, dear faithful, we who are the new and true Israel, not through any merits of our own, but purely arising from the gratuitous love and election of merciful of our merciful God. The difficulties and trials that we suffer are not only a merited punishment for sins, yes, they are first and foremost a call to conversion, to change our lives before it is too late. It is an opportunity to repent, to realize changes must be made. Let us remember that when we suffer contradictions, difficulties, loss of things and persons close to us. I wish to add also that there is another aspect of suffering that we must not forget, that it is not a punishment nor correction of faults, but simply growing in conformity to Christ, the spotless Lamb, who suffered not because of either of those reasons, but because of his selfless offering for our salvation. Let us think of the Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary, conceived and assumed without fault, who suffered more during this earthly pilgrimage than any of us can possibly comprehend. I know that we are now in the month of October, but last month we commemorated the sorrows of Our Lady on the 15th. I warmly encourage you all, especially those of you who feel like you suffer more than you can bear, to cultivate a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows, praying to her daily, for I assure you that she will bear, show you how to bear with patience and love your burdens, even embrace them. Returning now to the Maccabees, the second lesson that we can learn from these Hebrew heroes is that of the spiritual life, is that the spiritual life is a life of combat. St. Francis de Sales carried always one book with him, one spiritual book. This book was not the Holy Bible nor the Imitation of Christ. It was a book entitled The Spiritual Combat by Father Lorenzo Scupoli, an early Jesuit, and this book has become a spiritual classic. I encourage you all to read it as it reinforces this point that point, uh, reinforces this point that man's life is warfare. Don Gerge tells us the early beginnings of man's union with God are generally speaking deliciously calm. Divine wisdom, once he has led his chosen creature by hard, laborious work to the purification of his mind and senses, allows him, when the sacred alliance is duly concluded, to rest on his sacred breast and thoroughly attaches the devoted one to himself by delights which are an antedated heaven, making the soul despise every earthly pleasure. It seems that no battle, no anxiety must ever break in upon the first single season of the glorious union. But this exemption from the general taxation is never of long duration, 
for combat is the normal state of every man here below. This hard lesson is shared with us throughout the Holy Scriptures again and again by the inspired sacred writers who seek to promote in us the courage necessary to fight this battle. In the book of Job, chapter 7, we read, The life of man upon earth is a warfare. Tom Garnier adds, The Most High is pleased at seeing a battle well fought by Christian soldiers. We all remember, don't we, dear faithful, that we were made soldiers of Christ at our confirmation, receiving the grace and the mission to suffer for Christ daily, and even, if necessary, to offer our lives for Him. Dear young people, you will receive your confirmation in the coming year. Remember to be confirmed means to suffer joyfully with Christ, to be his soldier. St. Paul instructed his disciples, St. Timothy, to be prepared for the battle that he would have to wage. This precept I commend to thee, O son Timothy, according to the prophecies going on before thee, that thou war in them a good warfare, wage a good warfare. And whom do we wage our war against? We know the three sources of temptation are the world, the devil, and the flesh. The first two, the world and the devil, are exterior to us. And St. Paul warns us in today's epistle. Put you on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the deceits of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in high places. Note well that St. Paul is not opposing the devil to our own flesh here, but rather to other men. He does not say that these other two will tempt us, but he's focusing primarily on the demon, because the demon is in a certain sense the origin of all temptation, because he's the origin of the first temptation, which led to the fall of our, of our nature, which then is a source of temptation for us. And St. Paul then goes through and t- tells us uh, to where the different aspects, the different um, uh, pieces of this armor of God, and although uh, that's a sermon for another day to enter into what each of these uh, is, uh, it's good for us to notice that he resumes them all by saying what is the last, or the, the one that resumes them all in a certain sense, it is the shield of faith. Taking up, in all things, taking up the shield of faith, the shield which can cover and make up for any deficiency in any of the rest of them. And so, dear faithful, let us ask Almighty God to give us a spirit of faith, to grow in a spirit of faith. A spirit of faith which cannot be practiced unless uh, we are tempted, unless there are trials for that faith. And so let us not be discouraged, but ask Almighty God to increase evermore in us this spirit of faith, especially in these troubling and dire times. And so that one day, uh, having worn well this, this armor of God, we might carry off in victory and join our Lord in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.